It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Yes, they are. Sandy Rios back with you, and I do mean back with you in the seat, ready to go. After uh, quite a long break, the longest I've ever taken since I've been on this mic for the last 10 years with the American Family Radio uh, on this morning program. And so for 10 years, I've been getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and uh, trying to gather the news for you. And it's actually been a joy. I've just really enjoyed it. And so I want to especially thank Fred Jackson, uh, who was the head of our news department. I have such tremendous respect for Fred. He's not only a great newsman. He came to us from Canadian Broadcasting. Uh, but he is uh, just a deep man of faith, and so he has wisdom. And so I, I know that when Fred hosts for me, he gives you the news, and he gives you a perspective that that I trust. And so I'm so grateful for him. He always steps up to the plate. He hardly ever says no, uh, and he takes on hosting this job, hosting this show on top of his regular duties as news director at a- AFR Talk. So uh, I want to thank Fred publicly for that. <clears throat> and uh, Excuse me, my good friend Jay Christian Adams, who, you know, has a million things to do. He runs this uh, uh, public legal interest foundation, traveling all over the country, prosecuting voter fraud and uh, trying to clean the voter rolls. He has a very, plus he's on the uh, Voter Rights Commission. Um, He has a very busy life and a busy work life. And yet he takes time out to come in and host for me. And he brings his wisdom, his knowledge after serving in the Justice Department for so many years, his courage after leaving the Justice Department as a whistleblower during the Obama years. And so I'm always proud and happy when Christian is at this microphone, too, because I know that you're in good hands. So I wanted to thank them. And I also wanted to just—this is going to be a very personal opening, okay? So I hope you don't mind that. And usually, I rarely ever take the precious moments we have together to talk about my personal life because I don't think it's—I don't think it's that important. But I think my absence and the fact that we were a little bit cryptic about what was going on requires me to tell you, and you are my listening family, a little bit about what's been happening. Uh, as it turns out, a couple of months ago, I w- went for a. Um, uh, physical at Mayo Clinic, and uh, in the process of just a regular physical, there was nothing to indicate any problems. They discovered that I had a breast cancer, a cancerous uh, area in my breast, and so uh, it, w- they did a biopsy. Um, and I, since I've been off, I've had surgery, and I'm now waiting for some radiation. But here's the thing: it is stage one, level one. Uh, it is they caught it so early; it's small. Uh, it's just honestly miraculous. It was not something I could have felt or detected. Uh, and it's only by God's grace and mercy and the technology that we are that we have at this time in our in our lives, something that was never available in past years when my mother was growing up or her mother was growing up, when so many women got a diagnosis of breast cancer and then that, that just this a death sentence. It's not that anymore. 
And so uh, millions of women, as you well know, many of you that I'm talking to have gotten such a diagnosis. And I have to tell you that I I understand um, and want to be very clear that in the light of all the cancer diagnoses that are issued, even to many friends of mine, this is just nothing. This is just a blip on the radar. Uh, it is just nothing. And uh, only by God's grace is it nothing. It could have easily been something. You know, I've I had a severely disabled child who uh, the, the news was never good. The medicine never worked. She was always sick. It was always the worst possible. I'm used to getting bad news. And so to get good news with this was just overwhelmingly gracious of God. And so uh, my husband and I are just so grateful. Now, I'm not going to cry because I, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful. I'm healthy. And this last three weeks of just taking time off has been really good just to kind of assess and be quiet. And also there were some medication things going on that made me a little bit, um, it was, you know, I was doing some, my body was doing some adjusting, so I needed some time. And so I've had that time, thanks to Tim Wildman. He's given me that time off the air to just kind of uh, step back. And of course, there's the emotional issues. When you get a diagnosis like that, you you go through all kinds of machinations, you know. I, I, uh, I, I'm, listen, I've lived long enough to t- could tell you with confidence, I, I, I know that I'm not afraid of dying. I'm, I'm not. I, I was just thinking last night as I was trying to sleep, uh, how much heaven, how long, I long for heaven, how I long to see my mother. I, I long to see my daughter. And by the way, my daughter actually, um, w- w- her birthday was on Monday, and actually yesterday was the 13th anniversary of her death. Uh, she died uh, six months after my husband and I got married. Unexpectedly, she was not uh, a healthy girl. She was had always been severely, severely disabled and impaired with lots of complications. Nevertheless, we did not expect it to happen on that day, and it happened yesterday, 13 years ago. And even that... I have to tell you, is just God's mercy and grace. I am so grateful that my little sweetheart, Sasha, is in heaven and whole. I remember a friend of mine after Sasha died uh, said that, you know, she was very well acquainted at the time. Most of my friends now and for the last many years uh, have not, you know, they don't know Sasha. They never will know her. They don't know about that part of my life. But this friend did. And she was just saying that when Sasha died, she had the image of of a fawn that had just been born from a mother deer and how the fawn was wobbling, wobbled to get its bearing and to be able to get up and to walk. And she, in her mind, envisioned that that's what Sasha was doing in heaven. I just thought that was a beautiful picture. So I'm grateful for that too. So this, and then I have to add one more thing as if that is not, you know, emotional and personal enough. <laughs> it's exactly a year ago, those of you that are longtime listeners, Exactly one year ago that my husband Bruce was in the hospital suffering from COVID pneumonia and we th- struggling for his life. Uh, we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And um, that whole drama played out. I was able to get him ivermectin and he was able to come back home. And he's now <laughs> very healthy and recovering. He's had so many surgeries this last three years. We have been like, we could write a book on all of the events um, that have happened to us in the last few years that are medical and otherwise. But the thing of it is, um, I have to honestly say to you, it still doesn't seem like a big deal to me. 
Um, I think when you, um, you know, when you really commit your life to Christ and you sign on for the long haul and you are all out to serve him, I have to tell you, it's a wild ride. It's a glorious ride. I can't imagine living any other way. It's all over the map. It's filled with drama and excitement and uh, the thrill of serving him. There's just, it's hard to explain it. Uh, but it, it is an incredible thrill. And so these things, again, are blips on the radar. We know that our lives are short. They are just a vapor. They're just here. We're here for a while, and then we're gone. It's really nothing more than that. If you just puff a puff of smoke, if you used to smoke, or your dad did, my dad did, and he would puff smoke, and then you watch it dissipate. That's our lives uh, when compared to eternity and God's design for us. So uh, uh, but the bottom line is I am healthy and doing really well. I feel great. My blood pressure went down probably about 10 points this last three weeks from resting, and a lot of things, you know, improved. I got rest, and it was just wonderful, wonderful gift, kind of an oasis. But I am ready to be back with you. I am fully on full throttle, uh, preparing and uh, ready to go, so I don't want you to worry anymore. In case you did, do not worry. We're fine. And my husband is improving. Oh, my goodness. Huh. So many things have happened to him, and I better not start that because, you know, it would take the rest of the segment. Uh, but we are both just incredibly grateful, giving God the glory each and every step, every every single minute. And so I wanted to tell you that. Okay, so here I am back, and I noticed that while I was gone, a lot of things happened. I did notice that. I tried to pay attention, and I thought, oh, I got to talk about that. Oop, I got to talk about that. Oop, I got to talk about that. But you know what? Truth of it is, so much has happened, I can't talk about all of it. It's not possible. I hope that you were paying attention to other sources, uh, and we will be, of course, referring to some of those events, and some of them I missed, so you'll know some things that I don't know, things that happened while I was unplugged and, you know, healing. So so here we go, because today, you know, I think about Jesus when he said, don't worry about tomorrow, because each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, today we have plenty of trouble, uh, and there's plenty of news. And so I want to launch into at least one news story, this uh, this opening segment. Uh, and it's something that happened in Indiana, as you probably know, uh, on Sunday in a shopping mall. Let's listen to the report. This is clip four. It was a very, very fast response. But I'm going to tell you, the real hero of the day is the the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop this shooter uh, almost as soon as he began. The shooting happened inside of this suburban mall in Greenwood, Indiana, that's just south of Indianapolis. Police say the gunman walked into the mall armed with a rifle and multiple magazines and opened fire around 6 o'clock Sunday night. The suspect shot five people, killing three. The Greenwood police say four of the victims were adults and one was a child. She was 12 years old. She's now recovering at home. Witnesses describing that chaotic scene. Kind of off in the corner, I looked over by the Mexican restaurant, which is right next door to us, and there was a guy with his pistol held on the bathroom. And uh, I believe that guy to have uh, possibly been the guy to have uh, shot the uh, shooter. And, uh, you know, when police officers did get there, they put that guy in handcuffs. 
So according to the mall's code of conduct, no weapons are allowed inside of their shopping centers there. The policy was last updated in 2020. Now, the mayor of Greenwood released a statement to our Fox station out in Indianapolis, saying in part, this person saved lives tonight. Now, local, state, and federal authorities, Dana, are still working on this case to determine why this guy walked in and opened fire in the first place, asking anyone with information on the case to call authorities. Also, we're hearing there's a press conference later this afternoon. All right. Now I'm back with you. This happened. Of course, Indiana is a Midwestern state. We think of it as friendly. Uh, we think of a lot of Christians there, and that's that's all true. Uh, things are changing, I think, a little bit in Indiana. But nevertheless, can you imagine the shock? Uh, at, it's just shopping on a Sunday afternoon, and some shooter with a long rifle comes in with all these magazines and starts, you know, like like sitting ducks shooting people, managed to shoot five and kill three, as you heard in that report. So the irony here is that um, you heard a policeman refer to him as a good Samaritan. Also, the Greenwood mayor, Mark Myers, uh, called him a good citizen. And someone else did, is, others said that the same thing. Well, uh, immediately there was pushback. And one of those that pushed back was the CBS4 traffic anchor, Justin Kohler. This is what he said. The term Good Samaritan came from a Bible passage of a man from Samaria who stopped on the side of the road to help a man who was injured and ignored. I cannot believe we live in a world where the term can apply equally to someone killing someone. My God. All right, I want to talk about this just for a second, just a quick commentary. Um, Let me just tell you that, just to give perspective, this mall was a gun-free zone, and as you know, uh, the statistics show us that these mass murderers always choose gun-free zones because they don't want to die. They don't want to die. Oh, my goodness. You know, so they go into a gun-free zone so they can kill as many people as possible. And so um, if the shooter had not been stopped, the, the shooter had all these magazines, can you imagine how many people would have been slaughtered? Can you just think about that? And so the shooter broke the mall rules. That's true. It was a gun-free zone. He's only 22 years old, and he took the the shooter out. But what if he had uh, followed those rules? Would we have had a better outcome? Is more slaughter okay as long as, you know, he kept the rule? And if we found out that someone in the mall could have stopped the shooter but didn't want to break that mall rule, would that have been better? And is the shooter a good Samaritan? The good Samaritan, you know, took it upon himself at great expense, money, and time to pull this guy out of the ditch and save his life. And was the shooter then a good Samaritan? I just ask you, what did he have to gain by taking that on? Um, He's going to be prosecuted now probably and criticized by tons of people. Uh, What did he have to gain by doing that? Indeed he was a good Samaritan. Okay, that's my quick commentary. Interesting story, don't you think? Coming back with me, Ken Cuccinelli. Don't go away. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. If you haven't switched to MediShare yet, two big reasons to at least consider it and why it makes so much sense right now. Number one's inflation, which is just affecting everything. And it makes sense to say, okay, where can I actually save? Well, you could save a lot in one fell swoop if you switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month. Secondly, your conscience. MediShare members aren't forced to pay for things they don't support or believe in. And that's a big deal for a lot of people right now. They want their money to actually help people. And one more reason, you can trust MediShare. It's been the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. 
It works, and members love it, too. It has double the customer satisfaction rating compared to health insurance. So now's a great time to consider making the switch, and they're very easy to talk to. MediShare has great customer service. You can even get a price within two minutes. Here's the number. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Christina Ishmael, Deputy Director for the Office of Educational Technology at the Department of Education. She leads the office in its vision and execution of priorities focused on improving teaching and learning. Proverbs 1-7 reminds us of the importance of education. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Christina Ishmael as she works to advance education technology. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. A Wisconsin couple is making headlines after an incident at a local Walgreens. Nate and Jesse Pence wanted to buy some birth control products, but the cashier refused to ring up their purchases. Instead, he said selling a birth control product violated his religious beliefs, so he offered to call a manager to complete the sale. Well, it seems like a reasonable compromise, but the cashier is getting slammed on social media. Mr. and Mrs. Pence say they are appalled. Some say that if selling birth control violates his faith, he should find employment at a place that doesn't sell birth control. Now, Walgreens has a company policy. It allows staffers to step away from completing a transaction if they have a moral objection. Again, it seems like a reasonable policy. The cashier did not have to violate his religious beliefs, and the Pences got what they wanted. Well, everything except the cashier's forced compliance. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Wisconsin voters looking to deliver their absentee ballots like this won't be able to anymore. The state's highest court in a 4-3 decision ruled drop boxes are illegal in Wisconsin. Absentee ballots must be mailed or delivered in person. There's no doubt that this ruling limits access for voters and literally thousands of voters will be disenfranchised. The court also determined that no one but the voter can deliver their ballot in person. The ruling is a blow to Democrats and voting rights organizations in a battleground state where there were baseless allegations of widespread voter fraud in 2020. Republicans are cheering the decision as a victory for election integrity. In a statement, the chairman of the state GOP party said, quote, Democrats have long abused the practice of ballot harvesting, which undermines voter confidence confidence by interfering with the appropriate chain of custody of ballots. But with today's decision, they'll be forced into a fair fight that holds them accountable for their record. 
we should expect drop boxes to essentially disappear from the Wisconsin landscape. Barry Burden, director of elections research at UW-Madison, said it's unclear how many voters used drop boxes in 2020, but the amount of people voting absentee and the number of drop boxes statewide significantly increased. Several states, including Minnesota, allow for ballot drop boxes in some way. Now there's, I think, an additional responsibility for election officials to make sure that their voters are educated and know that they cannot wait until the last moment and return that ballot via the drop box. Caroline Cummings, WCCO 4 News. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. Well, Wisconsin, that's important because Wisconsin has their primary coming up August the 9th. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson will be joining us Thursday morning, actually. He's uh, coming up for re-election. And then Governor Tony Evers, the uh, very formerly with the, I would think, Wisconsin Education Association, uh, very radical leftist, is coming up for a re-election. So that would be very interesting. And that makes this race uh, and this uh, this primary in Wisconsin very important, as it always is in Wisconsin. It's a swing state. It really does matter a great deal. Well, what happened with the drop boxes in Wisconsin in 2020? Ken Cuginelli is joining us this morning. I always say the first thing on his resume is that he's my good friend. But second to that, he's the national chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative. He's also the former attorney general of Virginia and lots more besides that. But Ken, thanks for joining me this morning. Good to be with you. Ken, what was the, really, what was the role of those drop boxes in the Wisconsin 2020 election? Can you kind of give us, paint a picture for us? Well, they had never been used before in Wisconsin, and they'd been spread around quite a bit in defiance of the laws the Supreme Court of Wisconsin has now found. And um, and they're, you know, we're called the Election Transparency Initiative because we believe transparency is critical to confidence in the outcome of the election. And these drop boxes are the exact opposite. Um, they give you a point of deposit for ballot trafficking, which is the collection by paid operatives of ballots, which when they show up in person, they can fill them out. They can put pressure on voters and so forth. I mean, what is so hard about mailing your ballot in if you qualify um, without the involvement of one of these traffickers? Um, But that's part of why the Democrats are upset is they like that system for obvious reasons. And it really knocks the chain of custody out because you don't know who brought that ballot to the drop box because they are insecure. Um, they're, they're easier to stuff. Would that, uh, arise as a possibility? Um, because they're not overseen and, um, and, and they're a brazen violation of Wisconsin's own law. So we get back to just basic rule of law which the Supreme Court found. And by the way, as much as we focus on the Dems because they defend these things, there were Republicans on the Wisconsin Election Commission who supported their use and recommended them to clerks in 2020 because of COVID. Uh, So there's some bipartisan culpability here. And uh, the Supreme Court in their ruling said the Wisconsin Election Commission had literally no basis and offered no legal argument on where the authority came from to allow these drop boxes. So they really opened the door to all these clerks, some of whom are at the forefront of the Zuckerbucks um, issues, literally going so far as to turn their offices over to Zuckerberg's people and those uh, so-called nonprofits who ran the elections 
in those localities in 2020 and use government employees to conduct what amounted to Democrat voter turnout. Yeah, and Wisconsin was one of the biggest targeted states of Mark Zuckerberg and his operation on that, we need to say. So you guys are covering elections all over the country, Ken. I don't exactly know where, yeah. if you're going everywhere, if you're targeting mm-hmm. those those half a dozen uh, states that are so disputed. Uh, but are, are drop boxes now still being used in other states, and have they be, been eliminated in others? Uh, they are being used in other states, though they have been eliminated in some places as well, and they've been exposed. For instance, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania, who vetoed one of the most comprehensive election reform bills in the country last year, was caught on video um, breaking the law with respect to drop boxes. In, in Pennsylvania, they had them, but only one person could bring a ballot, supposedly. There's just an enormous number of instances, including the governor's own ballot, where that law was broken. And yet, he vetoes efforts to fix it. Uh, so this does have implications around the country. I actually think the biggest implication is that the problem that showed itself over and over in 2020, Sandy, was state officials breaking their own election laws. And, um, you know, you don't pass laws to say obey the law. Um, that's what the first law was for. And um, I think the example set of accountability here by the Supreme Court um, saying what you all did was wrong and you can't do it anymore going forward, um, it, and essentially pointing to individual people in the state and saying you were wrong um, is uh, a form of accountability that we just haven't seen that much of and uh, and it's very important that that happen uh, because if you I mean I mentioned Pennsylvania we we saw people hiding vote counting in in Philadelphia we saw that similarly in Detroit in Atlanta in Atlanta they were lying to people about when and where they would be counting votes um, all of these were violations of their own state law you didn't need a law to say you they can't do that um, but they broke their underlying law. So to have the Wisconsin Supreme Court lay it out in such stark terms, I think, is uh, great for Wisconsin, of course. And uh, But it's also uh, a lesson to the rest of us. Look, we can have accountability. We can fix these problems. And speaking of fixing these problems, you mentioned the Zuckerbucks. 22 states, 22, have now banned or reined them in which is uh, really quite an accomplishment for a loophole like that uh, this quickly. It, it often takes years to fix elections because there's so many little pieces to them. But we've made real, real progress across the country, and we've seen, frankly, bipartisan support frequently. In New Jersey, of all places, recently, they took steps to create more transparency in their election process. South Carolina, right here in Virginia, where I live, they passed Zuckerbuck's ban on a bipartisan basis. Kentucky, bipartisan. So it isn't everywhere, but common sense is breaking out in lots of the United States. And while we've fended off the Democrat efforts at a Washington, D.C. takeover of elections, improvements are being made all over the country, out in the states. Boys, that's a great argument for states' rights, isn't it, Ken? Amazing. Yes, it is. Hey, hey, let yes, me let me pass something by you uh, because uh, one thing that just drives me crazy now, and it must drive you crazier, 
every news report, uh, except for very conservative media, except for shows like mine, you know, and Demagino and the other uh, the others who have a bigger microphone, uh, we talk about uh, election fraud of 2020. But if you listen to mainstream media, even Fox, so many of the hosts on Fox, it's a constant uh, drip that 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 is a big lie that there was any problem in 2020. And I want to actually this I was going to talk about this story later, but let me just mention in the Washington Examiner this morning there is a story, and we don't have to get on the the actual nut of the story, which is that Mike Pence is now going to be working against Carrie Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona, and uh, President Trump uh, has is supporting her. So there's a battle shaping up there. But I want to read sure. just a just a paragraph from it. A Carrie Lake received Trump's endorsement in September and is an outspoken supporter of his claim that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him. Her campaign rests on the assumption that voters won't do their research and will immediately buy into into her election fraud narratives. Now that's just a that's just one paragraph in the piece, but that's the Washington Examiner. Used to be a conservative outlet, but this is what we see. What, what are your thoughts about that dualism? That double-mindedness that we have in our country now about what happened in 2020? Well, I mean, the the more dangerous story here is the, um, the group-think propaganda mentality of the mainstream media. And you said it includes Fox frequently. So in, in the Washington Examiner, which used to be conservative, um, you know, that there is... A, it, the old joke of the vast right wing conspiracy, if only it were vast, right? And, um, but, <laughs> but good. it really does seem like they have meetings for the vast left wing conspiracy among the journalists. And, and the, there, there are new themes. Um, you know, they talk about 2020 as if there were no problems, which is ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, just this past week, um, exploding off the newspapers all over the country was this theme that because Republicans have passed election reforms all over the country, there are now new criminal penalties for all sorts of new things. And uh, all of them, of course, election fraud. But that isn't what they focus on. They focus on, oh, look, these mean Republicans are basically, the implication is they're trying to punish you for voting. It's just ridiculous. And, um, but, but in little teeny local papers, and how did that story, which is really just somebody's idea, oh, let's write on this, um, explode across the country all within days. And I don't have an answer to that, but I would say that the left does very quickly pick those themes up and they run these propaganda narratives together with extraordinary yeah. cohesiveness. They do. I mean, we, you know, I play often, we'll play these montages where they'll use the same phrase. Uh, well, yeah. they'll you oh, take yeah. the big lie. It's the big lie, the big lie, the big lie, the big lie. And they're all, you know, they're all using the same verbiage. It is pretty amazing. You have to t- hats off to their propaganda machine, as you said, but it is doing tremendous <laughs> damage. I'm just not sure the American yeah. people are buying it, though. I mean, I think in D.C. No, they're buying I it. I mean, this is... Uh, you know, they for years and years, certainly when I was running statewide in Virginia, that their theme was you hate women. It's a little <laughs> weird with five daughters who I love, but but um in addition to an awesome wife. But but uh you know, then when Trump got elected, they switched the theme to you're racist. Everything you do, they don't like you're racist. Um and I would just remind people 
uh, to make this case. It's the old high school logic case. If that's their starting point, the ad hominem attack, you'll remember from high school logic, then they don't have anything. And and the thing to do isn't to call them names back. It's to call them out on they can't debate you. It's to point out their know-nothingness and, um, and that they're essentially trying to hide the issue. I mean, we saw this for a year and a half on all the voting reforms, uh, voter suppression, blah, blah, blah. And then we saw at the heart of this was Georgia, right? And then the primary in May had an explosively high turnout by Democrats and Republicans, by the way. So nobody was suppressed, quite the opposite. And and the longest-serving Secretary of State was a Democrat. His name is Bill Gardner. Uh, I think he's retiring this year in New Hampshire. Both Republican and Democrats had put him in office year after year because, strangely enough, he did a good job. And um, he testified when the Democrats, his fellow Democrats, were trying to pass a Washington takeover about the, what they would characterize as the restrictions of New Hampshire elections. They have very minimal early voting, um, only for a reason, if you're going to miss Election Day, um, in-person voting, etc., one after the other. And he said, look, we have higher turnout than these mail-in ballot states, etc., because we make Election Day special. We, we let people know they can trust it. We let them see what we're doing and participate in it. Makes sense to me. I don't care what letter's in front of your name. And uh, and again, as he pointed out, they have higher turnout consistently than these other states that do all these other funky things, pure mail-in ballots like Oregon and so forth, that are among the least secure ways to vote, as deemed by Jimmy Carter, that raving right-winger. In the in the Carter Baker Commission back in two thousand five, so even Jimmy Carter gets things right once in a while. Well, listen, listen. There's no question that your efforts with the election transparency transparency initiative and Cleta Mitchell and our friend Jay Christian Adams and uh, uh, Hans von Spakovsky yeah, at Heritage yeah. and you know the, you guys have been champions on this all over this going around the country holding seminars uh, trying to educate people and I think people are listening. Uh, for sure. I, I just think they're listening for sure, Ken. So hats off once again. Uh, you've done a great job. Whatever the assignment seems to be for you in your life, you rise to the occasion. And on this one, you certainly have. So, hey, thanks for joining thanks, us this Andy. morning. And uh, thanks for bringing us some good news for a chan- change. <laughs> <laughs> have a great day. Okay, talk to you soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The AFA Resource Center has all your favorite items. Everything from books, movies, shirts, and even hats. Introducing AFA's polyester and twill hats, starting at just $18. Whether you're into fashion, a collector, or you're just having a bad hair day, these hats are just what you need. You can buy one for yourself or a friend. Purchase your AFA hat today at resources.afa.net. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians, 
and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Acts 17.26 conveys to us the reality that we were born and placed in the 21st century by God's specific design. He determined before time where we would live and when we would live there. If you're in Minnesota, Mississippi, or Maine, God put you there on purpose. He's not surprised by the darkness we see around us, nor is he caught off guard by it. In fact, he specifically prepared for it by making sure you're alive right now. God can do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to use you and me as ambassadors of his kingdom. We are his torches to light up the darkness. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Telling Bibleists, persecuted believers, no, that's one of the hardest things we do at Bible League. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth, and I want to give you an update on our campaign, Stand With Them. You know, Paul wrote, the persecuted, they may be persecuted, but they're not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, for weeks we've been telling you about Christians who are praying for Bibles in order to endure and persevere. Ahmad is in Malaysia. He's a civil engineer, was beaten. When he came to Christ, he's praying for a Bible. Adesh is in Nepal. He's a tour guide near the Himalayan mountains. He was beaten, but he's praying for a Bible in the Nepalese language. And then Einar is in Zimbabwe. She's a widowed mother of three. Her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime. She's not praying for an end to her suffering. She's praying for a Bible. We're in the final few days of this effort to send God's word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers. We're short of this goal and we need to wrap up in the coming days. So at $5 a Bible, $100 since 20, will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Roger Robinson helped Ronald Reagan defeat the Soviet Union, the last totalitarian communist regime that threatened to destroy America. Central to that accomplishment was a comprehensive effort to cut off the Kremlin's cash flow from Western sources. Today, Mr. Robinson is warning about what he says may be, quote, the largest financial scandal in world history, unquote. That would be the underwriting from Wall Street that's propping up an even greater threat, the Chinese Communist Party. He estimates between three to six trillion dollars has been invested to date by U.S. sources in companies owned or controlled by the CCP. What's most scandalous is that thanks to financiers like BlackRock's Larry Fink, those sources include scores of millions of mostly unwitting American investors, among them now U.S. government and military personnel. Join a webinar today at presentdangerchina.org to learn how this enemy can be financially defeated, too. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 
So we really want to to to, to base our treatment and and, uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth, not to limit their participation in activities and sports, and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. Yes, well, that's the voice of uh, the mysterious voice of uh, <clears throat> Mister. Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine. Mr. Rachel, because it is a guy uh, who likes to dress uh, like a woman and actually have pictures of her walking through a Reagan airport in a baby doll dress with little shoes and stockings. Pretty amazing. You've seen him. Uh, it's just, uh, she, he, it looks like Benjamin Franklin in a dress. That's, that's, what, that's what Rachel looks like to me. So uh, that's what you heard him say. Transgender youths are threatened by mental health issues. He should know. Bullying and political attacks and the treatment of these youth should, should affirm their perceived gender identity and empower them to get sex change treatments. And that means uh, the children should be free to get hormones. They should be free to use, be given puberty blockers, puberty blockers, and also cross-sex hormones and surgery. Surgeries means removing their male and female parts. That's what uh, Mr. Rachel is all about, Mr. Benjamin Franklin Rachel Levin. And so... Uh, the House is uh, right now, today, I believe, going to be voting on a series of votes. It might be this week, might start tomorrow, on several key items, including legalizing abortion, keeping same-sex marriage legal, and securing contraceptive devices. They are Ger- Gerald Nadler, the uh, head of the committee, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, says, as this court may take aim at other fundamental rights, we cannot sit Idly by, oh, by the way, the vote is scheduled for Tuesday on the Respect for Marriage Act, and that's an amendment to the Defense of Marriage Act, which a lot of you don't even know about. But let me tell you, it was passed in 1996. I remember it well. It was on the air in Chicago. Actually, it defined marriage as between one man and one woman. And guess who signed it into law? President Bill Clinton. And it was, you know, a bulwark of defense against gay marriage until... It was just ignored, and as I recall, uh, the uh, the uh, I can't remember who was in charge, but the House of Representatives refused to defend it in court. Uh, it was never overturned, but it was just uh, just amazing. We've been having you know this struggle for several years, and I could say more about that. But just remember that Bill Clinton signed that bill, and now they want to um, amend it so that the Supreme Court cannot reverse their decision on the Obergefell decision making same-sex marriage legal. Ted Cruz was in a talk show called Cloakroom, and he talked about this a little bit. It's clip eight. Let's listen. If you were in this role as an advocate and Obergefell was in front of the Supreme Court again in some way, what would be the the vulnerability of this case? What would be the argument uh, against this case or the argument for overturning it? So look, Obergefell like Roe versus Wade, ignored two centuries of our nation's history. Marriage was always an issue that was left to the states. Uh, we saw states before Obergefell that were moving. Some states were moving to allow gay marriage. Other states were uh, moving to allow uh, civil partnerships. There, there were different standards that the states were adopting. And had the court not ruled in Obergefell, the democratic process would have continued to operate, that if you believed gay marriage was a good idea, the way the Constitution set up for you to advance that position is convince your fellow citizens. And if you succeeded in convincing your fellow citizens, then your state would change the laws to reflect those views. 
Uh, in Obergefell, the court said, no, we know better than you guys do. And now every state must uh, m- must sanction and, and permit gay marriage. Um, I think that decision was clearly wrong when it was decided. Um, it was the court overreaching. Whether the court will reverse it, I, I will say, so in Dobbs, what the Supreme Court said is Roe is different because it's the only one of the cases that involves the taking of a human life, and that's qualitatively different. I agree with that proposition. All right, so that's what, you know, to be clear, uh, when the Supreme Court uh, decided that uh, abortion, Roe versus Wade was overturned, what, a month ago? I lost track, but a month ago or so, uh, immediately the left started, you know, howling that this is, they're going to, you know, stop, they're going to... um, want to reinstate uh, prohibitions against using contraception. And also, they're going to turn back uh, Obergefell and make gay marriage uh, illegal again. And so um, I don't know what people are saying behind closed doors. I realize that probably Senator Cruz and even me, would it would be very hard to unring the bell of gay marriage. Yet, yes, I'd like to see that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have enough chaos in this country. Now we're trying to, you know, cut off the... We're having our assistant secretary of human health and human services advocate for children, having their sexual organs cut off, their natural uh, God-given uh, gender, the gift of their gender, which is, you know, what it is for boys and girls. Uh, we're advocating that this is madness, and somehow the madness has to stop, and it's going to be painful to unring that bell. But I think we're going to have to unring that bell, as unpopular as it's going to be. But I want to point out that we do have some champions in the Senate and in the House. We have men and women who are fighting, and you don't hear a lot of it because uh, they don't get a lot of air uh, cover. A fox has gone off the rails. I think the, I've told you, the news department is uh, extremely liberal right now. So they are, you know, even Brett Baer, when he's interviewing people, Brett has gone off the rails too. I'll give you an example tomorrow. I want to play a clip for you. So sad to me. Uh, but you hear establishment Republicans, but you very seldom hear, except on Tucker and maybe Maria Bartiroma and uh, maybe Laura Ingram, you don't hear the the, the core of uh, constitutional conservatism represented on that network. And you may hear it on Newsmax, but you're not going to hear it on the other channels. And so you're not hearing about what these really good people are doing in Congress. And so Senator Cruz continues to fight away, and so does uh, Matt Gates. And so I want to play an exchange for you that is related to this. Uh, uh, Karen Bass, uh, Congressman, woman Karen Bass, I think she's from California, uh, was, uh, they're trying to pass a bill. I can't be specific with you about it, but it has to do with abortion. No doubt it's trying to make sure abortion stays legal. Uh, and it could be just a, referring to an amendment. Uh, but Matt Gates, the Republican on this committee, uh, gets into an altercation with Representative Karen Bass, and I it's long, but I want you to hear it because it's really interesting, and I want you to be encouraged that there are fighters still fighting on Capitol Hill. Let's listen. In questions of the person who created a great deal of confusion by saying that this matter was for the reproductive freedom of women, and I, and I appreciate her yielding to a few questions that I think clarified that point. If the gentlelady would yield to another clarifying question, and I'm not here to make a partisan argument. I'm here to understand the effect of the bill and what you're talking about in support of the bill. You used the phrase unborn child in your debate, in your most recent debate. What does that phrase mean to you? Mr. Gates, 
Ms. Bass would like to answer your questions. Well, then I, she can strike the I last am word. finished with you right now, and I do not yield. So, so that's telling, right? I mean, I'm just here trying to get answers, answers to questions. You, Ms. Bass, you didn't use the words that were confusing. So I'm not going to yield to you. And it is I'm my not, bill. But you didn't use the words in description of it. And guess why? It was Ms. Ross who used those words. Well, and if I want to ask questions to Ms. Ross, she could choose whether or not to yield to give the answers. But you covering but for her, really she doesn't know the words she uses and cannot in the Judiciary Committee sit and answer the questions on something as important as life or death when I control the time is outrageous. Are you done? I'm done when my time's done. Mr. Gates' time. You can yield for those questions, but but it's crazy that in this committee, when I'm trying to get honest answers to questions about the effect of the bill, whether or not it paves the way to abortions, that you all want to sit up there and squawk at me rather than allow me to ask questions. When you have the time, you can control all the time. How about that? But these are fair questions. She used the phrase unborn child. This is I would theater. like to know what that means to her because what it means to us on a break. is that it is a life. But you know what? I want the answer on the record, Miss Bass. I want the answer for the American people because to all of us, my party that was impugned, we actually think that unborn life is a child and that there is a liberty interest there that is worthy of our defense and our protection and the values that undergird the American Constitution. I don't think that's too unreasonable. And by the way, if you use a phrase in this committee, you shouldn't have to have a senior member answer the questions for you. You should be able to answer those questions yourself. And if not, I think it speaks to the credibility of the debate that is offered. So I'll yield, I'll yield Ms. Bass. I got, I got 50 seconds. Thank you. I would like for us to vote on the amendment. I think the bill is clear. The rest of this discussion is theater. I would like to vote on the amendment. Well, right, Can we vote it, on the amendment, Mr. Chair? I, I, tell you what, I tell you what, Ms. Bass, reclaiming my time, we'll vote. When we're ready and when we're done answering our questions. Oh, you chair the committee now? No, we have rights in the minority to utilize time under the five-minute rule to be able to offer our perspective on matters. And we're sorry if you all are in such a rush to kill unborn life that you're unwilling to answer our questions. But you know what? The good news is, with the Supreme Court we currently have, this is now a pro-life country, and we've got all the time in the world for that. I yield back. All right, so that's Matt Gates out of Florida and uh, uh, having an altercation with Karen Bass. Uh, the point that I want to make with this is not only that we need to encourage and support these good people, some men, some women, who are fighting, fighting, fighting every day, taking on the pressure of going into that chamber and fighting. There's so many fights breaking out, uh, arguments. You know what? Let me say that this is a good thing. I would rather they have honest arguments where they care so much they almost go to blows than to be sitting there passively passing horrible legislation referring to each other as the gentle lady and the gentlewoman from whatever state they're from. That is, uh, that's more repugnant to me uh, when the, the issue at hand is so serious. There should be passion. There should be passion. There should be argument. And there are there's plenty of that in people that we have sent, at least in the ones that we've sent. But there aren't enough of them. And that brings me to just remind you that this is primary season. We're getting ready to have a huge primary a week from, actually two weeks from today. Um, maybe it's a week from today. 
I don't have my calendar in front of me, but it's it's a bunch of states, and I'm planning on covering as many of those races as I possibly can. There is going to be a lot of news. There is a lot of news every day. Did you notice? There's a lot of news every day, and I'm going to actually, actually probably have to neglect some of that because this is my reckoning. My reckoning is that the only way we can take this country back from the brink of destruction, and I, it's never been so close to the brink of destruction, whether it's on the economic front, uh, the moral front, our national security is in great risk. Um, it's amazing. If you were an enemy of this country, I'm not sure what you would do, if anything, differently than what President Biden and his team have done. If you wanted to destroy and dismantle and weaken and make a way to absolutely make it implode from within, there's not a thing you could do that would have done it any better than what the Biden administration has been doing. And so we are in a peril of losing our country more than we ever have been today. It'll be more tomorrow. And so we must encourage people like that, and we must elect more of them. And there are primaries in your states. Many of you have not had those primaries yet. Uh, Some people who are not fighters have already run. I was very disappointed in the Oklahoma results after we talked about that. Mark Wayne Mullen won the the primary, and uh, my understanding is that Mark Wayne is all over the map. He's just uh, not a fighter, and I don't think Senator uh, Langford is either. But that's what the people of Oklahoma chose. And I'm just telling you, for those of you who have upcoming primaries, a good, strong, conservative, constitutional, moral, often Christian person cannot win unless they win in the primary. Uh, They'll never make it if they cannot win in the primary. And so it's time right now, it's time right now to pay attention to what's happening where you live. You can get information on candidates at the iVoter Guide. That's i. Voter Guide, it gives you excellent information on the people running in your area. And as uh, the next few days unfold, I hope to give you just a a scope of various states, some of the main races, some of the Senate races that are underway, and kind of highlighting, hopefully, uh, some really fine candidates who deserve your support. Uh, Don't withhold it. And I know maybe some of you are not even, uh, you're not used to giving to candidates. You're used to giving to church. And, uh, And I understand, boy, do I ever understand that you know that. Uh, But it's not wrong, and it's good if you can give to candidates that you believe have laid it all on the line and are willing to fight and take on the pressures of Washington, D.C. to save the nation. So, And you don't have to work with people or support people who are just in your state. You can, you know, support a senator somewhere else in another state or a congressman. Uh, You can help them by phone banking. You can even fly there and walk precincts, or you can give to them or you could just uh, uh, talk them up uh, among with your friends who live in that state there's so many ways to help and if there's i'm telling you if we don't fight it in the ballot box there will be violence in this country i just think that's going to happen sandy rios in the morning AFR talk. the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the american family association or american family radio